Father, we come before you now, God, and as we turn our hearts to your word, I, God, I, I pray that you will help us to, to recognize and to realize, Lord, this is your word. It is intended for us. And, Father, I pray you'd give ears to hear this morning, hearts to receive. Lord, I know that there's a message here for every life. And, Father, I pray that this might be an Easter for the ages. Lord, I pray that today might be a life-changing moment for the families, for the individuals represented here. God, I pray that you will take this truth and it will do in their lives what it has accomplished in my own. And I'm very grateful and thankful for this word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This morning, I want you to begin, before we get to God's word, and just think with me about this uh, issue of discouragement. I want you to think about defeat. I want you to think about, I mean, I know this is upbeat. We're starting upbeat, so get with me here. Right off the bat, discouragement, defeat. When you, when you struggle, when you find yourself in a, a circumstance in your life where you're trying as, as hard as you can to, to get out of this rut you're in, but everything you do, nothing seems to work. You see, when I talk with people I, and they begin to talk with me about this defeat that they're in, this isn't a defeat like when you lose at a game or, or you fall short in a competition. This is defeat as it pertains to the game of life. This is the, the husband or the wife who is in a marriage but feels completely and utterly alone. The, the husband or the wife in this situation who had tries time and time again to to fix things, to, to bring some sort of peace into the home. But everything that they try is met with resistance. It always seems to blow up into a huge explosion. This is the, the young couple who is struggling with infertility or the family that's struggling over wayward children. There are people in this church that, that I watch worship God week in and week out and yet I know their family situation and I know that they have children that are away from the Lord and their life pattern is to move from one disaster to the next disaster and I know it is breaking their heart yet they come and they worship God but there are times they feel defeated sometimes you feel defeated because of loneliness Sometimes you can be surrounded by people. You can be in a room full of people. You can work in a large place or surrounded by people, yet you feel totally alone because you know at the end of the day when you lay your head down, there's not a person in the world that really knows you. And you think to yourself, if I wasn't here, would it even make any difference? And sometimes you even... Play this out in your mind or, or you remember times in the past where you've tried to open up and share your soul with someone and either they didn't get it or they didn't have time for it and it just hurt you worse and so you just clam up. You just retreat back into your shell and so there's this defeat that comes from being alone. Sometimes it, it's just plain old discouragement. Maybe this morning there's a family. Maybe there's an individual who's here this morning. And you, you would like to know God. You really would. And you come to church, it's Easter Sunday, and there's this thing inside of you that says, you know, I would like that, but I just, I don't know where to start. I don't know where the, the beginning point for me is. And maybe you come once or twice a year or... or 
whenever you just feel like you can't have enough. But every time you leave, you go back to the same old thing and nothing ever changes. And you know in your heart that what you're going back to can never, ever make you happy. Sometimes, defeat in the game of life just comes through fear. Sometimes we, we get paralyzed by fear because we worry about our health. And though there's nothing we can do about it, and though our worry, if anything, only makes it worse, and we know that, and we tell ourselves over and over and over, stop worrying, stop worrying, but you just can't. And there's this fear about what is going on inside your body and what's the next doctor's visit going to bring. There's fear in this room, I'm sure, about retirement. And you know, maybe you didn't make the best decisions when you were younger and now you're getting closer and sort of the, this cloud is looming over your head like what is going to happen when I, when I get to the end? What's going to happen? Am I going to have enough to survive? And you find yourself watching the news and just chewing your fingernails and, and you see our government and our country unraveling and all the financial fiber and stability just going away and it's just killing you. And day in and day out, there's defeat. And it comes like, like a thief in the night. It comes into our life and, 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 and we, we get in these circumstances and we wonder, this is not what I signed up for. This was not what I had in mind, but I'm here. And sometimes we even know. We know deep down in our heart the way out. But we just can't seem to muster the strength to get there. You see, I know. I know what defeat feels like. I know what it feels like to come to church on Easter Sunday. I know what it feels like to come to church on Easter Sunday and not even know growing up that Easter was about Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. I grew up in a home where I really believe that Easter was about bunnies and candy. No one ever told me. We never had a conversation about any of this. And you know, 17 years ago, I walked into this very church and I was as defeated as a person could be. And let me explain this very important fact to all of you in here. I didn't come here knowing that God was the answer to my problem. I came here knowing that I was not the answer to my problem. And my marriage was falling apart and I was miserable at my job and I woke up every day and I was grouchy and mean and just defeated. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to get out of it. I didn't know how to change my situation. And I was just in this horrible cycle of day in, day out, day in and not knowing if it would ever end. And listen, it wasn't always that way. Because there was a time in my life where I had, I had dreamed about doing some great things. I had dreamed about growing up and, and being a great dad and being a great husband. And I really wanted to, to be different from the way I grew up. And I really, really thought that if I put all my effort and all my energy into it, that, buddy, I was going to get there. 
I was going to make it different. And here I was in this moment 17 years ago, and it just unraveled all around me. And I'm thinking, I am headed for a divorce. I'm going to do to my family what my dad did to me. Here we go again. But I came to church. Not because I knew God was the answer. Because I needed the answer. I wonder how many of us in here today, underneath all these wonderful Easter outfits and this beautiful smile and all the plans we have laid out for today, I wonder how many of us in here today find ourselves truly in the deepest part of our soul defeated. And if you'll just... If you'll just walk with me for the next few moments through this passage of Scripture, you will see five realities in the good news of Easter that will literally transform your life. There is power in this gospel. I am a living, breathing testimony to the power of this gospel to revolutionize your life. And I beg of you, don't sit there as a, as a skeptic. Don't sit there as an outsider. And look up here at someone like me and think, a guy like that just grew up always knowing what to do. He grew up with a family who was always praying with him before he went to bed. He grew up surrounded by Bible stories. He grew up singing songs like we just sang because that's not true. That's not true. And you know what? Even if it was true, some of you could give testimony that all that can be true and you can still wake up and be defeated. It's the gospel. It's the power and the reality of the gospel that will absolutely transform your life and my life. Let's look together at John chapter 21. You'll find this on page 1250 on the Bible in front of you. You can just grab that pew Bible. We're going to read a story, a parable. A parable is simply a story in the Bible that has a purpose, a meaning for our lives. John chapter 21, verse 1, page 1250. You see, this issue of being defeated is exactly what we find here in John chapter 21. Jesus has spent the last three years of His life with these men, His disciples, and He has invested all of His time in them. And they have been with Him. They've camped around the fire with Him. They've eaten with Him. They've watched Him do miracle after miracle. They've watched Him perform miracles where the, the blind would see and the lame would walk. They were there when He walked on water. They were there when He fed 5,000. They were there. They saw all these miraculous things that Jesus did. But all that was over now. You see, when we pick up the story in John 21... Jesus has been arrested. And He's been beaten publicly. And He's been mercilessly crucified before the world. And people have mocked and jeered and, and they have made fun of and they've spit upon Him. And to be quite frank with you, He looked like a laughing stock up there. Blood pouring down His head. King of the Jews on the sign pitiful criminals on either side. And let me tell you, these men, His disciples, they were defeated. 
They were defeated because this wasn't what they expected. This wasn't the way that they, they, they planned this to work out. And, and by now, they've, they know Jesus is resurrected. They've already seen Him two times. But they don't know what's happening. They don't know where He is. He's not with them. They're not sure He's going to take care of them. They just don't know. And when we don't know, we get defeated. We start making impulsive decisions. We start doing things we shouldn't do. Sometimes we just stay in places we shouldn't stay. So they return to the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee where their journey had begun. Confused, wondering were the last three years of our life just a waste? I mean, really, all the things that we'd given up. Did we, did we do this uh, in, in wisdom? Was there a purpose in all this? They felt alone, abandoned, rejected. And they were hurting. They were defeated. John chapter 21, let's begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says, After these things, Jesus showed Himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and in this way He showed Himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and the two others of His disciples were all together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, well, we're going with you also. And so they went out and immediately they got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment because he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. But the other disciples, they came in the little boat, for they were not far off from the land, but about 200 cubits, dragging this net of fish with them. Verse 9. Then as soon as they saw that he had come to land, they, they saw the fire of coals there, the fish laid on it, and the bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land. It was full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to him, and likewise the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Five realities about the good news of Easter I think we can find clearly from this text. I could probably give you 15, but for the sake of all of us, we'll do five and see how that goes. I want you to notice, first of all, the first reality is simply just the reality of Christ. It's the one that just jumps off the page. I want you to notice verse 1 and verse 14, that this whole story has bookends. The first verse, before we get into the story, says that after these things, Jesus showed Himself again to the disciples. And then if you look down at verse 14, the Bible says this is now the third time Jesus showed Himself to His disciples after He was raised from the dead. The first thing I want you to see before we even get into the, the discussion of the story is that Jesus reveals Himself. Jesus is not a Savior who's playing hide-and-seek with His creation. 
I want you to understand that the, the Son of God wants to be known. He wants to be seen. He comes out and reveals Himself to people. The Bible says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which is lost. There is no story of, of these disciples looking for Jesus. It's always Jesus revealing Himself to them. And so it's very important for us to remember that there's no one, the Bible says in the book of Romans, there's no one who seeks after God. No one, Romans 3.11. That this morning, if you find God, it won't be because you initiated it. It will be because He reveals Himself to you. God wants to be seen. The reality of Easter is that He is real and He wants that to be known. And He uses people, events, and circumstances in our lives to bring that truth to bear. And every single person in this room who belongs to Jesus Christ knows that it was God who revealed Himself to them, to you, to me. He used people, places, circumstances. And looking back on it, we wonder, how did we not realize when it began? But that's the true nature of who the God is that we serve. He is a God who reveals Himself. Now let's look at verse 2 and see this second reality. The second reality is that life is hard. Can I get an amen on that? Is life hard? You see, we, the, the mistake that many people make and, and, and some churches make is just pretending that life's not hard. Just pretending that if, you, if you're a Christian, everything's supposed to be good all the time. That, that somehow there are people that will try to tell you that if you, if you receive Jesus, all your problems are going to go away. Well, listen, the reality of Easter is life is hard. Verse 2, Simon Peter called the twin, Nathaniel of Canaan and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee. And two other disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, well, we're going with you also. So they went out and immediately got in the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Now, what do you do when you find yourself in a circumstance in life where it's uncertain? Where you're not exactly sure what's going to happen. When you don't know really where you're headed or what's about to come your way, you find yourself in this position of, of, of uncertainty. You know that, that, that feeling where nothing's really ever right because you're always sort of on guard and people are around you or asking you, you know, are you okay? I mean, you're kind of edgy today. What's, what's the problem? You're wondering, you know, why am I doing the things I'm doing? What's the point of all this? What's actually happening around me? Well, let, let, me, let me just share a little news flash with some of you that are new to this whole church thing. Christians don't know what tomorrow holds either. We only know who holds tomorrow. You see, I don't know what's coming down tomorrow. But here's what I do know. I know the one who's in control, and so I can go forward and live my life in confidence, in trust and faith in Him. So we're all in the same boat in the sense that none of us really know what's going to happen tomorrow. We know the ultimate end. I mean, we know the grand narrative. We know the big story. I mean, you can, anyone can read Revelation and see where all of this is going. But tomorrow, 
We're all in the same boat. The difference is, is when you know the one who holds tomorrow, you're able to go forward into uncertainty with peace. And, and that's, that's the, the missing truth oftentimes that people who are apart from God don't realize. Maybe, maybe you're here today and, and you, you want to know God. But it's this very uncertainty that's, that's keeping you from, from, from moving forward. It's this uncertainty about, well, well what's going to happen to me when I become a Christian? You know, well, what, are, what are all the things that God's going to change in my life? If, if I surrender all, what's that going to look like? I know what that feels like. I remember that feeling. I know exactly what it feels like to be in this tug of war between what I know I need to do, but how am I going to work out all these details? And in, in this struggle, you come to a place where you realize, you know, it's not for you to work out all the details. It's just for you to surrender. And here's what happens. Instead of having to sort out all these details, instead of having to figure out what's going to happen to all my, my, my friends, they're not going to be my friends anymore if we're not doing the things we used to do, or well, how am I going to explain this to my parents, or how am I going to explain this to my coworkers, or what's going to happen to, to my family, or you know, is, am I ever going to have fun anymore? I ask that question. I, I remember sitting in church going, am I ever going to have fun anymore? See, the good thing about you is that every time I see you, you're having fun. And that's good. But that's a real question. And sometimes people, sometimes people make heaven out to be a place that I'm not sure I want to go to. I mean, an eternal harp recital, a bunch of, you know, Fluffy, white, puffy things everywhere. Me in a dress. I'm, I'm just not feeling that. But you see, can't you see that, that, that the, the one who wants to keep you from the Lord is not going to stop at anything, even if it's just trying to... to to skew our culture to begin to see heaven through media or through silly fables and stories as some boring place. And yet, the God who created everything I can see right now and everything I can't see, but look at the diversity in this room. Look at how there's not one duplicate in this room, how every individual person is unique, and all of you have this amazing array of gifts and talents, and, and some of you can do one thing, and some of you can do another thing, and God has, has, has just used this unbelievable creativity to create this world in which you and I can wake up, and, and I'm driving here this morning, and the sun's cracking over the sky, and the trees are, are, are rough, ruffling around in the wind, and birds are chirping, and I'm thinking, this God that thought of all this, that created all this, that has this unbelievable imagination and creativity, 
creativity. He made me in His image. This is the God who made a perfect place, this place, heaven, where we'll be forever in glory with Him. And listen, there won't be even the word boring won't exist there. It's more than you can comprehend. But listen, in this moment of indecision and, and uncertainty, the voice in your head's not going to tell you that. You're, you're going to hear things like harps and quiet. I don't like only harps. I, I like harps. I don't have a problem with them for like five minutes. So if you play the harp, God bless you. You play it for five minutes. I'll cheer you on. And I'll admit it is better than me in a dress. That would be the worst part. But you see, see what uncertainty does. See what it does to me. You see what it does in the life of the disciples. Here they are wondering. Think about this. Jesus isn't around. They know He's risen, but what's going to happen next? I mean, where, where's this going? And here's what you know they're saying. Jesus has already told them, the Bible says, that they're to go to Galilee and wait for Him on the mountain. But they didn't do that. They're not where they're supposed to be. They're down fishing by the Sea of Galilee. And I'm just wondering if, if the conversation isn't... They're, they're sitting around, these seven disciples, and they're talking amongst each other, and they're saying, you know, well, you know, Peter, this is all probably your fault. I mean, you're the one that's denied him three times. Stephen's there. Stephen's saying, I don't know, but I'm not leaving anybody because I'm not missing anything else. I'm staying wherever y'all go, I'm going. And see, the first time Jesus appeared after to Mary, remember Mary wanted to embrace Jesus, and Jesus said, no, not now. It's, it's not time for that. And so there was this new dynamic to this relationship with this yet to be, you know, fully resurrected Jesus. And then, then the next time He appears, he, he allows Stephen to actually put his fingers in his wounds. And so there's a little confusion about how all this is going to work out. And, and so they're probably wondering amongst each other, like, well, well, maybe we just didn't do things right. And maybe, you know, maybe God's just unhappy with us. And so He just left us here like we failed the test. But look at how Jesus responds to people who, in a sense, really have turned their back on Him. You see, he, He's called them away. Remember in Luke chapter 5, He's called them away from being fishermen. This was exactly how Jesus met them in the first place. Jesus is walking along the same sea, and they're most likely in the same boat, and Jesus performs the same miracle with just a few exceptions. For those of you Bible scholars, it's interesting to note that in Luke chapter 5, when they began to reel in this multitude of fish, what happened to the net? It broke. And Jesus said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. Now in John chapter 21, they reel in this multitude of fish. And what does it say about the net? It didn't break. See, Jesus called them away from fishing for fish. And He called them to fish for men. And what have they done? They've turned their back on that and they've gone back to what they know. They're stuck in a rut. 
And so they go back to exactly what they've always done. The third reality is Jesus is there. Jesus is here. Look at at what Jesus' response to them is in verse 4. So when morning has come, Jesus stood on the shore, and yet the disciples did not know that it was Him. Then Jesus said to them, children, or this word really is, is lads or fellas. That's, it's, it doesn't mean little children like tiny children, but more lads. Have you any food? And they answered him and said, no. Now, isn't this the way it always goes when we take matters into our own hands? We go out and we decide we're going to do something and we're already in this perpetual cycle of doom and we know that what we're doing is not the right thing, but we're going to do it anyway and we're going to try to make it work and it just yields us nothing. And day after day after day, nothing. And it gets worse. It gets worse. It's the dad who comes and sits in my office. And he was so full of hope when, his, when him and his wife got married and when she got pregnant with their first child and as their little ones learned to walk and things were going so good. And then somewhere along the line, he got a little distracted. And here's what the dad does. The dad says, well, you know, I just don't get to spend a lot of quality time with my family, so I'm going to buy a boat so we can spend quality time together. So we buy a boat. And so Saturdays as we go out on the boat day, But we have so much fun together on the boat. And then pretty soon Sunday becomes we're all together on the boat day. But it's okay because, you know, we'll have a little devotion or we're going to be together. And isn't family good? Isn't being on a boat good? Yes, it's all good. But it's not the best thing. And over time, when you're away from church, when you're away from the Lord, when you're out of fellowship, when you know you're not doing what you ought to be doing, eventually you're going to come to the moment where you yield nothing. And here's what he does. He sits in my office with tears running down his face and he says, Brother Tony, what happened? And I don't have to say anything because he knows what happened. And so I look at him and I say, we both know what happened. But what's going to happen now? What's going to happen now that we're here? Don't go back fishing. Because if you do, we both know it's going to yield you nothing. You know, it's the job that has all the promise of of overtime and more money. And listen, I mean, how many times have I had this conversation? Oh, it's a good job and I'm going to make so much more money. And I understand that. But here's my question. Who's going to take care of the kids when you're working 50, 60 hours a week? And here's what always happens. The fortune of a good job comes along and initially it's good, but more money always becomes more stuff and more stuff requires more money to upkeep the stuff. And on and on it goes. And one day you wake up and everything that really matters is gone and been squandered away from what originally started to be something that seemed... Not so dangerous, not so bad. Like a group of disciples who were supposed to be on a mountain, but who weren't really sure what was going to happen. And then, of course, Peter, the impulsive one. Well, forget it, I'm going fishing. And the six others, I'm going with you. And there they go. But when they turn, And they look to the shore. Here's this 
Here's this image of this person. And the Bible indicates that they're not sure who it is. They're about a hundred yards away from shore and there's someone there. But we know because verse 4 tells us who it is. Is that you this morning? Are you... Did, did you... Did you row yourself here on Easter Sunday in your boat? And are you sitting here this morning and maybe for the first time you are just now beginning to realize that Jesus is here. Jesus is right there. And you know what? He's been right there. And He's been watching you. He's been watching you as you were just toiling and struggling. He's been watching you as you've been caught in this, in this round and go cycle. And day after day, He's there and He's watching you. And you felt like you were all alone. You felt like He was nowhere around. You felt like He didn't care about you anymore. But the whole time, there He is standing on the shore, watching everything that's happening, just waiting for the moment when your heart is right for Him to do what He always does, reveal Himself as being right here. He's right here. That's what's so amazing to me is that this is not the way that I typically respond to people who turn their back on me. This is not my response to people who don't do the things that I ask them to do. But Jesus is not like me. He's not like you. He's a good patient, loving Savior who cares and knows and He's there and He's watching. And listen, oh, this just hit me so hard the past couple weeks as I began to think about today and as, as I just began to be overwhelmed with, with my own circumstances. I mean, I just honestly, let's just be honest. I'm the last person you ever thought would be preaching to you on Easter Sunday. Let's just be honest because I'm the last person ever thought I'd be up here. And all week, this is what I think about. I think about, I come to Christ and I'm a wreck. And God doesn't fix everything. I'm a wreck two months after I come to Christ. Six months after I come to Christ, I'm still a wreck. And I mean, I'm just... So many times I'm thinking, God, why don't you just kill me? Because that would be easier than fixing all these problems I have. But I remember that. I remember what it's like to to do the wrong thing so long that it's just natural. And here I am. I'm a born-again believer and I'm sitting in church and I'm trying to do this thing and I'm reading my Bible. And every time I stump my toe, darn does not come out of my mouth. And it kills me. And I I just remember... This moment. And somewhere along the line, I just realized Jesus is right there. He's been right there with me every step of the way. And when morning comes, Jesus is on the shore, the Bible says. When we're struggling, when we're empty... Jesus is on the shore. Can I encourage some of you today? You can't let down Jesus 
because you've never been holding Him up. You can't, you can't disappoint a Savior that knew of your disappointments before you committed them. You see, here's the man right there leading the charge, Peter, who has denied Christ publicly three times. And five chapters earlier, Jesus told him, you will deny me three times. But I love you anyway. And Peter said, no, I'm not going to do that. But Jesus knew he would, but he loved him anyway. And so for you who are here this morning, who you, you just feel like you've just gone too far. You've just done too much. You, you just feel like, I have, I have played this game and I, and I have let him down time and time again. Well then, welcome to church again, Peter. I'm glad you're here. And just for your encouragement, Jesus nicknamed him The Rock. He's the only disciple that got a WWF nickname. I mean, that means something. But I, I think there's something for us to know about how God responds to people who fail. People who had every chance to say, all Peter had to do was say, yes, that's me, I'm one of his men. But he couldn't do it. He couldn't bring himself to say it, and he failed. So, maybe you can start today. Maybe today's your day. Maybe today's the first time you realize, well, okay, I don't need to know all the answers. All I need to know is that I don't have all the answers. Maybe you're right where I was. And that's a great place to be. Just admit that your way is not working because look at what happens the very next thing in verse 6. So Jesus says to them, after epic fail, zero fish, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast and now they were not able yet again to draw it because of the multitude of fish. Right about the time you and I say, my way doesn't work, I don't have the answers. That's when the help comes. And you know, there's a lot of people outside the church and they think that, uh, they think that Christians, pushy Christians who are always trying to push their religion on other people, and they think that they represent a pushy God. And, and, and I read Scripture and I see a graceful, loving God who's long-suffering, who knows the right time who waits. And when you wave the flag of surrender, He's right there with the solution. And that's exactly what happened this day. The fourth reality is that the time is now. Today. Right now. The Bible says in verse 7, Therefore the disciple whom Jesus loved, that would be John, he said to Peter, It is the Lord. Now Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, and he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. In other words, Peter, the one who was unable to sit still, the one who was unable to, to let anything go by without getting involved in the middle of it, the one who had to get out of the boat and try to walk on water, the one who chopped the soldier's ear off when they tried to arrest Jesus, the one who was always impulsive, the little boy that never grew up. He just stayed in that moment where he was always doing the first thing that came to his mind. 
the one who had led his friends down to go do the thing that Jesus has already told them not to do, that same Peter jumps up, puts on his outer garment, and plunges into the ocean. Now, I don't recommend that you try swimming fully clothed. It doesn't work really well, especially with a big cloak over you. But Peter didn't really care about that. He knew one thing and one thing only. There was a hundred yards of water between him and his Savior. And when he realized that his Lord had not abandoned him and not turned his back on him, when he realized that God was not punishing him for his failure, when he realized that God was there for him in his moment of need, when he realized that their relationship was going to be restored, that Jesus was back, that things were going to be okay, he didn't care. He wasn't waiting for a boat to get there. He jumped in the water and started rowing because he realized that the time is now. See, the problem we make so many times is we want to wait. We want to wait until we get our life in order. We want to wait until we get all our, our details worked out. The problem is that doesn't work. That doesn't work because the same voice that got you in the mess you're in right now is the same voice that's going to keep you from making any changes when the time comes that you think is going to come. The time is now. Peter recognized that the time is now. He realized that Jesus is not dead. He realized that Jesus is not defeated. He realized that His power is not diminished. You see, he realized that his plan was still working. He realized that God's Spirit's still moving. He realized that there's still time for him. There's still time for you. He realized there's still help. He realized there's still hope. Here's what God's saying to you this morning. He's saying, will you please lay down your nets, stand up in your boat, and take the plunge. I'm here. I'm on the shore. I'm revealing myself to you. I'm calling you. I love you. I have a purpose for you, a plan for you. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that I want to condemn you. You're thinking that I want to punish you. You think that you ought to be afraid of me. But listen, today's not the day to be afraid of him because today he's on the shore and he's calling you and me to himself. And when we get there, he wants us to sit and eat with him. Why? Because he loves us. But it's not always going to be that way. And so while it is that way, the time is now. I love the way Peter responds. There just needs to be a little bit more of that in all of us. I wish I could say it was true for me that whenever I was struggling, I just immediately ran to the Lord with that zeal. I I need to do that. But the truth is there's times in my life where I think it's a little problem and I think I can work through it and I think I can, I can muster up the strength and I can, I can study enough or I can push enough or I can just do it in my own way and somehow I'm going to get through it. But you know what? It never works. It never works. The Bible says we can do nothing apart from Him. Nothing. Zero. But in Him, He does exceedingly abundantly above that which we could ever ask or think. Peter is in this moment and he realizes the final reality. God loves me. God loves you. He he loves us. Look at verse 9. As soon as they had come to the land, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid on it 
and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have caught. And Simon Peter went up and he dragged the net onto the land. And it was full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Isn't that just like a fisherman? Here he goes over here. There's all this miraculous uh, things going on around him. And he pulls the net up and Jesus has got everything made. And he's over there, 149, 150, 151, 152. Woo, 153. Jesus, 153. We caught 153 fish. That's how every one of you fishermen are. See, I thought maybe the Scripture would spare us from that because earlier in the text, there was a good opportunity to make all the fishermen real again when Jesus said, how many fish did you catch? But He didn't do it then. He said, none. See, true fishermen never say that. Never. I don't fish much, but when I do, I realize everybody who fishes lies. (laughs) And when I fish, I lie. Because I want to fit in. And you get your boat over by some other guys that are fishing. And you've been watching them just reeling in fish after fish. So you kind of ease over there. And it's a touchy situation, you know. There's a little, there's a zone. And you're never really sure how close you can get. So you kind of get over there. And as soon as you move their way and they're in the hot spot and they're looking at you. And so you want to break the ice and you go, you having any luck? And every time. That guy knows every ice chest full of fish. Nope. Cold. He doesn't want you over there. And every guy that comes in with nothing. You have any luck? Eh. It it was all right. Oh, we caught some, but we threw them back. Mm Mm-hmm. Peter wants you to know 153 large fish. So there you go. Jesus brings the blessing. But but what is all this about? You see, this whole story, you have to understand, is in the Bible for a reason. In other words, John, if you read the book of John, when you get to the end of chapter 20, really, the book's done. And so you're reading along and you think, well, that's it, the end of the Gospel of John. And then there's this last chapter. Why is there this epilogue at the end? Why is there this information we need to know? And here's why. This story is to illustrate to you and me how the resurrected Christ will deal with humanity. This is how Jesus Christ, from here forward, will operate amongst His creation. This story is here to show you and to show me that all of this is, yes, it's to teach Peter a lesson and it's to restore Peter and it's to get the disciples back on track, but it didn't have to be in the Bible. The reason it's there is so we realize that in this moment, what Jesus is wanting is to have a meal with people He loves. And He's already prepared everything they need to have this meal. You see... Don't, don't miss the, the love in verse 10. Jesus has a fire built. He has bread baked. He just made 153 large fish jump into their net. 
He doesn't need one of their fish. He's already got his own fish there. In other words, he could have made all the fish jump into the boat already filleted and fried if he'd have wanted to, but he didn't do that. In other words, what's the point of this? Why does he say, bring some of the fish you just caught? He's showing us how he he wants to eat with you. He loves you. He wants a relationship with you. And he wants to involve you in what he's doing. He said, get the fish you just caught. Get Bring the things that I've blessed you with and bring them into this relationship and be part of what we're doing here because you're in the family. I love you. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. And so bring what you have. You see, this is God showing us who He is. Look at verse 12. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Come on, sit down. Yet none of the disciples dared ask, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. Could it, be, could it be possible this morning that we've gotten all dressed up? Well, we got up early. We've made plans. We know where we're going to eat. We're going to take some cute pictures. And we, you know, we've been shopping weeks in advance to get all the right bows and the right shoes and all the right things and to make every boy in the family miserable. And we've done all those things. We've made sure that all those things would happen. And we've come to church on Easter Sunday morning. But deep down inside, is it? are you just tired? Are you just tired? Are you just tired of of struggling in your own strength? Are you just tired of, of doing the things you've always done and just being disappointed by your own ideas and by your own plans? And maybe this has just been a long time coming for you. Maybe this morning for the first time you're beginning to realize that, that God really is interested in you and that God really does love you and that God wants to do something in your family and you don't understand how all that's going to work out. You're not sure what that's going to look like or how it's all going to play out and, and you're not even sure what to do or how to do it, but for the first time, would you just admit with me this morning, maybe your way's not working. Because the first step to Jesus has to be, my way is failure. It's never going to work. You're never going to sort all this out on your own. You're never going to have a great marriage. You're never going to raise great kids. on. It's just not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And there you are in the boat. And you know how to fish. And you know Monday you can go right back to what you know. But it's not ever going to be your solution. I'm here to tell you, God hasn't left you. He hasn't lost sight of you. He's standing on the shore and He's been watching you. And He's waiting for you to jump out of the boat and respond to His love. When you get there, I mean, can't you see Peter? I mean, he, he, he's just struggling. Finally, his feet touch the ground, and now he's got some traction. And he's going, and man, that cloak just weighs a thousand pounds behind him, and he's pulling, and he's trying to get there. And he just, 
comes up out of those waves and he's running up the beach. And I mean, here's this picture. I mean, it, it looks like the prodigal son and the father meeting on this dusty road. And, and he just can't wait to get there to his Lord. And he's just so relieved that finally in this instant, it's, it's, it's going to be better. And Jesus is back and it's okay. And his failure wasn't so much that Jesus turned his back on him, that there was going to be a future and a hope for him that in this moment... In this moment of embracing, there's Jesus just probably dripping with salt water as Peter just embraces him and hugs him and he's so grateful and thankful. Who who would leave this morning? Who would walk out and go right back to what you left and leave behind the opportunity to run up the shore and embrace the Savior of the world, the one who created everything, the one who created all things for Himself and for His glory, the one who loves you, the one who put His very thoughts and His law in your heart, the one who's been watching you all your life, the one who knows every thought you've ever thought, the one who was there for every failure when you failed, the one who knows there's no secret about you that He doesn't know, but He loves you and you can embrace Him this morning. He's here for you. He has a plan for you. He doesn't want to condemn you. He doesn't want to chastise you. He doesn't want to beat you or imprison you. He wants to eat with you. The Bible says in the book of Revelation, Behold, I, Jesus, stand at the door and knock. And anyone who hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and him with me. Now this morning, you have heard His Voice. He's speaking to you. He's at the door knocking. Will you open the door? Will you open the door to your marriage? Will you open the door to your children? Will you open the door to your future? Will you open the door and walk out of defeat and into the victory of Jesus? You won't know what tomorrow holds, but you will know who holds it. And if you think you can make it on your own, if you think your way is going to someday turn around, listen to me. This place is filled with people who are still stuck in that rut and getting nowhere. And I don't know how long you've been there, but I can assure you nothing's ever going to change. But at the very same time, the mystery of all this is that there's not a person in this room that couldn't reach out their hand and put their hand on the shoulder of someone who jumped out of the boat, who ran to Jesus, who embraced Him. And though their life is not easy, though all their problems are not gone, they now walk in the victory of Jesus because they opened the door of their heart. Will that be you? Will this be the Easter of all Easters for you? Will this be the day, the defining moment in your life where you plant your family somewhere for the future? Will it be today? Or will you go back to what you've always known? Let's stand together. Let's bow our heads. And let's ask God to help us. Father, we come before You, Lord. And God, we ask for Your help, Lord. We're here, God. We're celebrating the risen Jesus, Lord. God, we're, we're celebrating, God, the, the miraculous difference that You make in a life who responds to You. Father, thank You. 
thank you, Lord. Thank you for that day. That day that I jumped out of the boat, Lord, and I, and I swam to you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for, for teaching me how to be a husband, God. Thank you for showing me, Lord, how to be a father. Thank you, Lord, for the millions of times I've failed you since then. That you love me. That you're patient to me. That you're good to me, Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Father, that I can't disappoint you because you knew all of it before you saved me. Thank you. And Father, thank you that you you brought so many here that share the same testimony. But Lord, here there's also those who don't don't share that story, God. And I lift them to you and I pray that this might be the day that they hear your voice. They sense that knocking and they open the door. Father, will you will you heal some hearts today? Will you touch the heart of a, a single mom who's so tired. She's walked in here this morning and she's completely out of, out of gas. It's all she can do to just get the laundry done and the kids to school and, and pay the bills. And every Sunday she thinks maybe today we'll make it to church, but she just can't muster the strength of God. Will you touch her heart today? Lord, will you Will you redeem her life, Father? Will you give her your strength and your power? Father, for the young man who's trying to climb the ladder of success and realizing every step of the way he's getting closer to something he really never wanted. God, will you you call him out of the boat today? Will you call the, the skeptic out of the boat today, Lord? The one who... Always has 20 reasons why today won't be the day. But Lord, right now, you've revealed to them that it's their time. And that you love them. It's going to be okay. Father, the family that needs a church home. God, thank you for the people that are going to teach their kids verses and lead them in singing and Lord for those small group leaders who are going to love their children and send them birthday cards and Lord how all these things are going to change today because they joined a church and and became part of what you're doing here Father you you know every need in this room Lord we just ask that you do what only you can do and God we'll give you the glory we receive the blessing from you Because you're the giver of every good and perfect gift. In Jesus' name.